You're listening to Randstad Sourcerite's Talent Navigator podcast. Join us to hear about the latest research, talent trends and success stories from human capital leaders who are driving their organizations forward with smart workforce planning strategies. Welcome everyone and welcome to today's edition of the Talent Navigator series on talent intelligence and how to leverage better data and analytics for greater insights. Uh, this instance is the fourth of a five-part series exploring the talent lifecycle and how to unlock the true potential of your workforce. My name is Esther Weinhuizen, and I'm the global head of brand and comms for Ronstadt Enterprise. And I have a few housekeeping items before we start here. This series we will record it for on-demand viewing. A summary of discussion points and related content will be available to every live attendee and as, as well as on-demand viewers. If you have any questions for our speakers, we'd love to hear them. Uh, please type them into the chat. We'll either get through them during or right after uh, the presentation. We um, have about 10 minutes at the end of this uh, webinar uh, to dedicate to Q&A. And now I'm pleased to introduce our speakers today. We have Joost Heinz, who's our Global Head of Intelligence at Ronstadt Enterprise. He brings over 12 years of experience in international talent solutions, and he stands at the forefront of driving business innovation and growth through strategic talent intelligence. He champions the transformative power of talent data advocating for its pivotal role in fortifying companies with strategic direction and resilience. Matt Goretzky works closely with Yoast as our talent and market intelligence manager. He has a rich background of over eight years in the global talent acquisition industry, with nearly six of those dedicated to talent research and data analytics. Matt is committed to innovating and developing new methodologies to address client challenges at Runstat, particularly to the lens of data and analytics. And I will now give the floor to Joost to share how the team gathers and inter interprets the data and, uh, to and how you to use to, uh, better intelligent intelligence uh, can help you. So Joost, go ahead. Thank you very much, Esther, and excited to be with you all today. Um, we wanted to start off right away to, with an example of how we use talent intelligence uh, and for an example of an issue that we see coming up quite a lot uh, with our clients. Um, so we've taken the example of an AI engineer, uh, and right now a hot topic for many companies are looking for this type of talent, um, but actually the talent pool is quite scarce. And what you see happening, not just in this job, but with any job, is that you see that hiring managers are looking at that job description, they're going over that job description and think, oh, actually that skill will be very useful, and that skill will be very useful. What you see in this visual today is that if you take the overall supply of people that have affinity with AI, that is a relatively large group. But if you start adding any uh, other requirement to that uh, profile, you see how fast that talent pool reduces. And this is a way of using talent intelligence to make very visual and have that conversation with the hiring manager that every and skill that they add it reduces the talent pool uh, dramatically. And it is an opportunity to start that conversation to say, right, if you wanna have some options and you don't wanna be looking for only unicorns, these are the options that I have to increase the size of the talent pool and increase the chance of success. So just wanted to give you a little bit of a feeling of what you can do with talent intelligence, how that shapes conversations, not only with hiring managers, but also uh, in your own company. Um, I truly believe that HR has been struggling to get kind of a seat at the uh, at the board table because it was not data driven enough. I think talent intelligence can be that key to unlock that and get access and to start to uh, communicate 
based on data and make it very insightful on what you're talking about. So a couple of things that we want to share with you today. Um, one of the things that fascinates me is that a lot of trends on things that were no happening in the labor market are not new. We all know about them, but then we forget about them. So we want to go through a couple of those key labor market trends that are long term that every company should be addressing. Um, but we see often enough are not being addressed. Then next up, we want to talk to you about what we see right now. As Van Stad, uh, the leading HR service provider in the world, a lot of uh, people are asking, hey, what do you see? We want to get a feeling, is there a recession coming, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so we want to share with you on what we see in the market today, what are things that we find remarkable uh, in that market. Uh, and last but not least, we want to talk about, okay, how can you leverage talent intelligence for your own organization um, and see how that can make a difference for you. So with that being said, I want to dive into the long-term labor market trends. And the first trend that we want to start with is the aging populations. Typically, one of those questions that if you, or one of those trends that you would say, right, everybody knows that, but are you doing something about it? Mwah. Um, so, how is that going to affect you in your company? Well, a couple of things that it affects. First of all, uh, a lot more people are leaving in many countries. A lot more people are leaving the workforce now. Now entering. So, by definition, that makes a uh, labor market more more challenging. Second of all, is for the first time in history, you will see uh, a labor force that has four or five different generations in there. How can you make that into a success? All those kind of things that are related to aging population are very important to start thinking about. And also, um, with, with the continued pressure on, uh, on the scarcity of skills, it is very likely that you'll see you'll get, uh, you'll get, uh, governments starting to legislate for um, making it uh, easier for people to have a longer term career or incentivize uh, people to stay uh, working longer. So that's something that you should start thinking about as a company as well. And how do you attract uh, maybe older talent as well? Um, to make that a little bit visual, because you see that, the, that there are quite some differences in between countries, is uh, to look at the uh, working age population in the different countries and how that evolves over time. Um, I think it's very interesting to, uh, to think about, like Germany, for example, is expected to lose 10% of the working age population over the next 10, 15 years. Now that is gonna have quite a big impact. Do you think the German economy needs to grow? It needs to do with 10% less people a lot more to still only get to a little bit of economic growth. Uh, that realization I find very interesting. Also one that stands out here is that not every country has uh, this problem. If you think about India, for example, um, there there are about uh, 10 million new people joining the workforce every year, where there are only 1 million more jobs created now on average. So that creates a very different dynamic than what we see in Western Europe or in North America with the aging populations um, and provides a huge opportunity for global companies to start thinking about where they're going to leverage which, uh, which work. Second of all, the evolving education and skills. I think uh, skills hasn't been a hotter topic uh, before, even though it has been a topic that's being discussed quite a lot. 
you see that the the evolving uh, technology results in different uh, skills being important. You see quite a lot of change in jobs and how they're structured. Even if they have the same job title, if you compare that to five years ago, it won't be the same job and might not even need the same skills anymore. So again, there as a company, you need to start thinking about how do we upskill, reskill people, and probably the most forgotten, how do we have that adult conversation with our workforce to start talking about to say, this is going to happen to your job. What do you want to do? What is your next step? Uh, a lot of times it still results in uh, larger layoffs when whole departments have become uh, redundant. Um, but there's an opportunity there to become more agile and have that ongoing conversation with, with your clients. Uh, sorry, with your uh, workforce to start thinking about how do we make sure that they are relevant for the future. And um, that, of course, it goes hand in hand with the next trend, and that is AI and automation. I think uh, with the arrival of ChatGPT and now one year ago, uh, it has made it very clear on what kind of impact we can expect from AI. And quite frankly, that is quite big, of course. Um, also, I think just think from a thought experiment, if you use ChatGPT now and you see you don't get the results from it, just think about the future iteration and the impact that it will have five years from now. Of course, now it may be a hype and it might not be working in, in every area, but this will affect all the work processes, especially if the iterations get better and better. Um, so that's something to really start thinking about uh, and have those conversations with, uh, with your workforce, uh, but also not only on generative AI because there are many more types of machine learning, uh, automation, RPA, that will have an increasing impact on what people are doing in their day-to-day -day jobs uh, and uh, is gonna have a profound impact. Just to zoom in on, uh, just gonna skip that one, uh, in on generative AI. Um, I think it's a couple, a lot of research is being done right now, but in, in general, you see that the expectation is that about 25% of the task jobs can be automated uh, in the near future. And that's quite a lot. Um, it will especially affect areas of customer operations, marketing sales, software engineering, research. All those areas are expected to have quite a bit of impact. And there are two sides of that medal, right? On one hand, uh, it's a huge opportunity for our companies, but you can also really miss out on on, uh, on finding the right talent or not being competitive enough. So there's a lot on this for every company to get this right and stay on the ball or to do that. Now, the impact as a society as a whole is also quite challenging, right? There could be globally 300 jobs being displaced. Personally, I'm a firm believer in what Scott Galloway said is that uh, your job is probably not gonna be uh, taken over by AI. But if your job is at risk, it's from somebody using AI. Uh, and I think that's one uh, to keep in mind and to start thinking about and planning for, if you're not already doing that, uh, as a company to make sure that you're ready for the future. And the fourth one, uh, this is a, an interesting one because we have seen a bit of backlash against the, the boundless workforce when we look at the aspects of uh, uh, remote working and the return to office policies that we've seen quite a lot. I find it interesting to, when you look at all the research in 2021, everybody was super happy uh, 
about remote work and there were all, was all kinds of research that it actually made people more productive. Uh, but now, especially in the, in the tech sector, you see a lot of incentives to or pressure for uh, employees to return back to office. Uh, where if you look at the the research done on what people really want, uh, it's still that remote is very popular and hybrid as a minimum. So I think that's very interesting. Also, if you think about like talent uh, remaining scarce in the future, it's an opportunity for you as a company to really stand out by offering remote jobs, for example. Uh, Business Insider had a nice catchy headline that I thought was uh, was interesting where they said, uh, it's now easier to get into Harvard than it is to land a remote job. That on one hand, right, shows the backlash against it and the return to office policies, but also the opportunities for you as a company to stand out. Now, I, this boundless workforce trend is not only about remote work, and we shouldn't make it that small. It's also about how uh, 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 talent wants to be contracted and how they want to interact with client, uh, with, uh, with companies. So, for example, um, freelance work, gig work. I, my impression or my take is that as long as talent remains scarce, the pendulum is still in the area of talent where they will, for a large part, decide on what and how they will work. And I think that brings all kinds of complexities because can you have somebody gig work in one country and be contracted in another one? Um, but there are also opportunities there to really allow that flexibility for talent to make sure that you have access to talent at the right time in the right place. Um, then the next one is the conscious and sustainability focus workforce. I think is, this is a, a trend that is very interesting. Uh, it resonates with me personally as well is that uh, a lot of people now where traditionally they were looking for stability in a job, uh, a, a, a long-term career within a company, that aspect has changed quite a lot. It's more about the career and it needs to be very closely aligned to your values. So you, you want to work for a company that you think uh, does the right thing. And we see in all the research that the uh, excitement about working for companies that are not aligned with the values has gone down and that makes it harder for that kind of companies to attract talent. So. This means one, you need to be very good at explaining what, what you're stand for and what difference you're making in the world, not only from a negative way, as in what's your footprint, for example, in CO2, but also from a positive way. How, how do you influence uh, a change in, in the world and what good does your company do? There's so many stories out there that I think are sometimes underrepresented uh, um, because a lot of companies that you might not know make a huge difference in um, the, the the lives of patients, of uh, or for example, or any any type of things. Um, so there's there's a lot of opportunity on how do you communicate that and how do you use that in uh, in your talent attraction. Now, if you sum all this up, there's one of course that comes out of that, and that is there is quite a lot of change in the in the labor market, and just. Put yourself in the shoes of a legislator and you need to come up with AI legislation because it's going to have a massive impact and you want to make sure that that impact is positive, but you don't know how it's going to change. So that is a very challenging job that you'll have in that in, uh, if, you, if you put yourself in those shoes um, and it's going to lead to more and more complex 
reg uh, regulation that companies need to adhere to. Now, that also two aspects to that. One, you need to implement that, but a second uh, part of that, often forgotten, is how do you communicate with talent about that? How do you make it easy for them to navigate through all those rules? And how do you make sure that you stay compliant? So these six things we really see as things you probably already know, but you don't really have a program, a connected program on. There might be a department here and there working on a small aspect on it, but what is your strategy overall as a company to address these things that are not going to be any surprise, but most companies forget to work on. Then we move on to what do we see right now? Because you see that long-term trends often come back in the day-to-day, -day, and a lot of these things we already see happening today. So first of all, when we think about the uh, uh, what we see in the labor market, it's heavily affected by the global economy. And if we think about a little bit on where is the global economy now, it helps to put it into context on where we came from. First of all, pandemic, huge demand shock, first down, then back up with a with a delayed demand and stimulus from governments led to massive very much higher inflation uh, and of course when there's inflation central banks needs to put the, uh, their foot on the brake they increase interest rates and that's where where it all started the the the, the conversation that we were going to the big tech companies realized that they might have been over hiring and uh, a lot of the future growth was financed on low interest rates so they needed to be more efficient and that's where the tech layoff started. Now we see that it's not only tax layoffs anymore, it has spread a little bit more. So we have seen a softening in demand uh, across the board. Uh, there's still some uh, countries that stand out in the other way. So you see, for example, India has continued to see a rise in demand, um, but in general, we see a softening of the market. Now, the most important context around that is, yes, there's a slight softening, but historically, this is still very, very high. Uh, and that's what we try to show you in, the, in this graph as well, is that the demand is still very much elevated, not compared to a year ago, but if you look at the longer term trends, if I would zip myself back to 2019 and ask people to say, hey, is it very easy to recruit right now? No one would have said yes. And right now, uh, we're still well above the 2019 uh, levels. Um, so I think that's, that that's, sums it all up on what we see in terms of uh, demand. Of course, that reflects into uh, unemployment uh, figures. We've seen already quite a long trend going down in employment rates. And what my uh, high school self fascinates is that in many, many countries, we're below that 5% mark that I was told in high school that that was full employment and that was the lowest unemployment we would ever achieve. Now you see that a lot of countries are below that 5% mark, well uh, below that uh, full employment and still uh, some of them uh, going down. So also interesting to note there is that um, uh, the economic slowdown hasn't really translated to lower or uh, to higher unemployment rates. Now, that said, if we uh, historically look at what is the correlation between higher interest rates and the impact on the labor market, that is usually a 12 to 18 months delay. Now, keep in mind, we're 14 months in. 
So it's very interesting to see that the impact on the labor market is very minimal and uh, it's unlikely that it's going to be a really big impact. Now, we do foresee that this um, uh, softening of demand is going to continue a little bit longer, but a very loose labor market is not expected by anyone. Um, then I want to introduce you, if you don't already know it, to my favorite indicator, and that is uh, the job vacancy rate uh, in North America, uh, also called the open rate. Uh, so it's basically the percentage of open jobs at any given time. And why is that interesting and possibly more interesting than the unemployment rate is because it is a better indicator of how the, uh, the matches between supply and demand. It is possible that your unemployment uh, is very high, uh, but your uh, job vacancy rate is also very high because of that mismatch and you still have a lot of open jobs. Now, in the US, that job vacancy rate is very, very high. It's 5.8. Yes, last year it was uh, close to eight at some point. So it is lower than it was last year, but still it's very high above what a good functioning labor market is because what usually a healthy labor market has has between one or two percent of the jobs being unfilled or things moving on so far etc um now also good to know you see that poland is a little bit lower and that might make you think oh that's no we should go to poland because it's, it's going to be much easier to recruit there in fact that is not always true if you zoom in and we have an example a little bit later on a specific job and another reason why i like that job vacancy rate because you can not only look at at a company level but you can also look at it at a uh, sorry a country level but also at a region or a job category or a single job you can see that um, in certain sectors in uh in poland you see that that's much higher uh, and it's very challenging to hire for that specific role. Then on uh, how does that look like, like over time? I, and I, I think this is a very good portrayal of how you, how you can see that, yes, it has reduced a little bit, but the uptrend there is still continuing. And you can see that uh, the trend is not undone yet. So yes, it has softened, but you see the dip during the pandemic the the correction to above and now a correction downwards now i'm very interested to see how this evolves over time if we see a trend break there yes or no um, but i assume that we're not going to go back to levels of pre-2018 or anywhere near that so i do expect in most of the european markets and north american markets to to remain very tight um, here's the example that I was just talking about. This is uh, zooming into uh, Poland, and uh, um, uh, it shows that the difference in seniority level and that job vacancy rate. So where you think maybe on the early careers area, that's where you see a lower uh, vacancy rate, but then you see a lot of companies now battling it out for that talent uh, in, in the more senior area. So I do think that's that's very interesting. My assumption around that is that companies are now a little bit more careful in their hiring and they want to hire talent that immediately contributes. But that means that talent is very, very in demand still. Um, another last item into what we see in the market, uh, which is very interesting, is that we see that inflation rates coming down, but 
the, the wages in some countries are still uh, going up quite a bit. And uh, good news for the global economy that inflation is going down, but how that dynamic between wage growth and inflation is, is one to watch over the next few months. Because there is a case to be made that um, if the wage growth remains high, it's going to be hard to curb inflation. And uh, at the same time, if inflation stays high, then that means that talent will be demanding uh, the compensation for that as well. And I think the OECD made an interesting graph on that, where they look at what is that loss in real wages uh, by different countries. And you see, especially in Eastern Europe, what the impact is on the average employee and how much loss in real wage growth uh, they've had uh, in the last year. And that's, of course, that's not sustainable. That's something that, especially in tight labor markets, they want to recoup and uh, is expected, especially from unions, to put pressure and continued pressure on wages. Now, also good to note there is that there's a different dynamic in different countries. In the UK, in North America, you see a stronger correlation and a faster correlation between what's happening in the labor market and what does it mean uh, for, for salaries. And um, uh, that means that, that quicker it changes, but in, the, in, in some of the European countries, especially where unions are stronger, you see a delay in that response. So for example, in the Netherlands, you, you saw that last year, the demand from unions, even though inflation was much higher, was around 3%, and now it's closer to 8%. So that is, has delayed effect and will have a continued effect on wage pressures in the, in the next few years, potentially. So those are the couple of topics that we thought will be interesting to share on what we see. So the softening demand, still very tight labor markets, um, the continued uh, scarcity for specific profiles in specific areas with different uh, seniority levels, and the continued pressure on uh, on wages uh, on, as important items. Um, we want now want to continue with um, talent intelligence and how do you leverage that? So over to Matt. Thank you, Host, and uh, thank you, everyone, for attending. I'll just address one of the questions that, that popped in chat meanwhile, and we'll, we'll answer all of those in the Q&A session, but uh, the question about attrition specifically. So, so over this time, we've actually seen attrition nearly doubling for the, for the white-collar jobs. And that's one of the things, or one of the, I would say, results of also the certain globalization of the job market, right? So there's much more opportunities now, especially for the skilled talent globally. And uh, it's also one of the ways to, to fight inflation, right, in terms of finding the higher remunerations. And um, that's that's in the context of some of the points that Yost made about the very dynamic changes, right? That the recruitment market is essentially nowhere as it were as it was like 10 years ago. Uh, so jumping down to my section, um, I just want to take you through some of the practical um, practical elements around the intelligence, right? How do we leverage it and, and uh, what that really means to, to, to have intelligence alongside your talent acquisition process? And uh, for the most of you, I would assume uh, you, you probably know the pro pro programmatic solution. Uh, which comes down to, to some sort of a tools or, or uh, essentially platforms that enable you to pull the data from. Now, uh, our approach to this is slightly uh, different in a way because we try to make sure that the intelligence is, uh, um, is actually uh, true. Uh, sorry, I, I can see, like, there's a little bit of a presentation issues, I suppose, Yost. Still can see the slides. Accidentally, <laughs> I hit a button. Sorry, let me fix it. 
Right, right. So, so I'll just I'll just continue on the on the specific one. So, when it comes to the uh, to the um, programmatic solutions, or or way is really to make sure that the intelligence is always contextualized. The data is pretty much nothing without the context, and we want to make sure that whenever you you have some sort of a, of a recruitment problem, it's always being addressed from from the from the specific perspective. Whether it comes to geography, whether it comes to a composition of the job you're looking for, whether it comes to to decisions about opening or, or recruiting at different geographies right so our approach as what intelligence really is is a, a contributor to the talent acquisition process and team of experts that actually able to support all the steps on the way within the process right and uh, kind of moving forward uh, I just really want to highlight the the three key elements um, that are part of this process or how you can really leverage talent intelligence so um, when we move to the next slide, we can actually see some of the aspects that are the most, uh, I would say, frequently addressed by us in terms of, first of all, staying up to date, right, with, with all this landscape uh, quite constantly changing, right? Like the skills evolving. I think just, just across last seven years, the composition of the profiles of the skills changed by like 24% on average, right? The whole market is basically moving and we have to make sure to, to um, stay uh, stay on the top of that. So the part of the market, the intel that's really important, especially for senior stakeholders, is just knowing what happens in a specific geographies, uh, is ability to catch up with the trends like the remote work. Is it is it here to stay? Is it here to go? Like how how do you really uh, use those for your advantage in terms of the recruitment uh, recruitment process and and having a, uh, having an upper hand in terms of of your competition so that's number one the number two is the one that is specifically dedicated uh, to the operations we very often have have um, cases coming directly from the hiring managers or recruiters in, in different locations where through the access to the talent intel and again I'll I'll, I'll I'll highlight that the specific talent intel for the profiles you're recruiting, uh, they were actually able to turn around things like, like closing roles much faster or, or potentially convincing the other stakeholders about the, uh, the uh, availability of the talent, about the different location or maybe the adjacent skills that could be used for this role to close the position higher. So having this accessibility to the intel, wherever you are in the process, whether you're a recruiter, hiring manager, uh, the, uh, the regional HR director, it pretty much gives you the ability to address each of, of those individual cases in a very quick pace and with this Again, tailor-made, um, tailor-made view that basically includes all the challenges you've had around this role. Uh, and the third thing is specifically around the broader decision-making process, right? And uh, uh, besides keeping up to date with the market and knowing what's happening, what's going on there, the decision-making process around opening a new center, moving to a different location, maybe uh, reviewing the compensation, uh, which is like one of the of the quickest changing elements of the markets right now all those things uh, are uh, it's something that we can basically support you with um, through the complex research around this particular topic and there's there's essentially I would say no practical limit in, in terms of of the talent intelligence from the perspective of the the uh, applications uh, in a in a very in a very broad scenario, right? We we always try to look at again what's the situation, what's the geography, and what you can do with that, and try to find the solutions together. So, kind of uh, finalizing on this part, uh, it's really about the cooperation of of both the the operations, the intelligence, making sure that all the decisions are data backed and properly informed.
Now, uh, there's a lot of questions usually popping at this point that are relevant to the uh, where this data comes from. Right, and uh, obviously, uh, we're uh, we're like the the biggest HR service provider in the world, right? And that's that's the first point. You know, so if you could move the slides, that's that's the first source of our data. We have a lot of internal data that, uh, or the metadata that we're able to use and apply across the different different steps in the process. Now. The second part of that is that uh, using the SME knowledge, whether those are the, the um, researchers and talent uh, talent consultants, we're able to apply that to those specific cases just via the experience. And this is the aspect I, I kind of kept mentioning over over the way that it's really important to add this practical aspect to all of this. Right? It's it's not enough to pull our pull our research from a tool. It really has to have the proper context and and kind of this perspective of what you've been dealing with so far and what are the other solutions you can try and our experts on the ground can pretty much pinpoint those those little elements um and obviously, we also we also leverage external data, whether it comes to the uh, the statistical offices data or to the databases that we just purchased. Uh, it's it's all basically coming into the one. And uh, depending on the geography, depending on the skill set, we always use the different sort of databases, the uh, the job aggregator platforms, uh, even some of the AI elements to actually help us out in terms of defining what's the best source of information and how does it really come together. Uh, so. That's the part about the, the leveraging talent intel, what it really is, where you can really get it. And I just want to do a little bit of a, of a teaser in terms of, of uh, um, some of, of the work that we do produce on a regular basis, being the, the in-demand skills. This is something that uh, uh, we publish every year. Um, this particular uh, research is focused on those um, those jobs on the market, those those skill clusters that are effectively the most, uh, I would say, hot in terms of the skills. Now, uh, this year's edition, you know, if you could move the slide, is effectively a little bit, I would say, deeper dive to what we used to do previously. In the in-demand skills, we are trying to highlight the talent that everyone is fighting for, what complexity of recruitment is tied to this. And again, this year, we also focus on the sub-skills on each individual skill cluster. Because we're talking about relatively big talent population, I think there's over 130 million profiles that kind of went into this research. And effectively, when you look at each individual skills and in context of the trends that that also Yos was talking about, whether it comes to the globalization, the, the skill shift, uh, those skills can be acquired from the different geographies with a specific complexity. This particular chart represents uh, what skills are most scarce, so effectively where's the least talent, where's the highest demand, and what potential skills are a little bit easier to acquire from the market's perspective. And just by, by reviewing that, that's that's very much different for, for each market. We see, uh, we see that across, especially countries like US that are the major demand generators, that sometimes making this decision about, should I go to a different geography? Should I go to maybe look at some adjacent skill set that could potentially supplement what I'm looking for. All those things you'll actually be able to, to help yourself with through the in-demand and some of the interactive visualizations that will be will be also published this year by selecting like this sort of a view from a geography perspective 
And this is, this is particularly a highlight of how the hiring complexity for in-demand skills looks like for each individual geography. So we can see some of the markets like Singapore being relatively hard to hire, where you can also see that like India, for example, has abundance of talent and the local demand isn't that significant. So we can basically make an informed decision also leveraging the intelligence uh, in terms of, of where should I really get this talent? Is that talent a, a cultural and skill match for, for what I'm really looking for? And um, we, we have one of the examples of how intelligence actually has been used to, to address this sort of a, um, this sort of a niche skill set. And uh, obviously, when it comes to, to the global talent acquisition and, and pursuing the, the recruitment in different locations, this is something that can, uh, can be quite, uh, I would say, intimidating in terms of I never recruited outside of, of US, for example, and uh, how this process is going to go when I when I focus on, on a different geography. Uh, and, and mostly this is rooted in the fact that lock, like hiring on a local level uh, can be extremely competitive, can be extremely lengthy, uh, and it's just not, not yielding results fast enough. So this particular case is addressing one of our um, of, of for uh, bioinformatic roles. That was one of the niche skills that our client never recruited in the uh, in outside of the US before. And we did conduct a, a study, quite broad one, in terms of, of the supply demand local competitors to basically support them in terms of, of this decision-making process, right? So uh, straight away, when they go to this market with this study, they, they know uh, who's actually act actively recruiting this sort of talent. Is there a lot of this talent if, uh, in this specific country? If there is, what area might be the most sustainable if I plan like ongoing further recruitment for this sort of a role? or adjacent roles. Uh, so there's something that we've been able to, well, as one of many cases, bring together as as um, alternative um, solution to the recruitment challenges in the local country. And that was that was very well taken. As far as I'm concerned, the, the person that we're working with was, uh, was also um, uh, a PhD in the data analysis. So we had a, a lot of touch points in terms of how those things are being addressed. So with that, uh, I think we can uh, we can move forward to the Q and A session. Fabulous, and we got quite some questions both in the chat and the Q and A. So uh, we have a few minutes here to go through a couple of them. And uh, thanks, uh, in any case, to the audience for uh, active participation and the appreciation of the insights here from Joost and uh, Matt. So uh, super thanks. So um, let me quickly go to. Um, we have a couple of two questions around uh, the calculation of the GVR. Uh, Matt or yours, how do fake postings account within the GVR and how is the N calculated? Would you uh, be able to share some thoughts around that? Yeah, Matt, do you want to take that one? Yeah, so so very simply, for for most of the of the data uh, that we pull in terms of the demand, and it's already cleared out of the fake posting or multiply multiplying postings effectively. So uh, you need two values for that. So that's supply and demand effectively to calculate the JVR, and uh, and with that, with uh, demand being cleared. Uh, 
it's uh, well, I, I would say it's, it's very straightforward. And we're also all looking at the angles of the particular skills on the market. So whenever we're showing you the, the specific JVR for the countries, I think we had some question on, on the US data, for example, right? Uh, we're looking at the actual situation on the market, not specifically on, on things like the unemployment claims or anything that's, that's I would say, the, um, uh, the side values to that, right? So. And maybe good to add uh, that as well is that this is also uh, an official metric that a lot of uh, stats bureaus use. So Eurostat has some uh, information on country level on that uh, BLS in, uh, in in the US. Um, so it is a, a, a common indicator uh, to calculate it for a job, but that's then you need to put a little bit more work in. Um, but like uh, Matt said, that's also very well possible. Yeah, and that just just one last thing, right? Whenever it's shown, like from a specific job perspective, like you've seen on the in-demand chart, we always account only for the population that we see fit for a specific role versus the ads that we see see fit for a specific role. So we've seen those those numbers going, like even on the markets that had like average of five percent, uh, those numbers can go for like eighteen percent for a senior role or very niche role because it's always applied to the population that has this sort of skills. I don't know. A, a new question just came in from from Emily. I don't know if this relates to that, but she's asking how demand is cleared. What does it intend? So, if one is looking at the volume of posted jobs, that number might be inflated. So, is is that kind of what you're referring to as well, Matt? There or yeah. So, so, so also addressing that that from the from a, a same perspective, right? Whenever the job postings are uh, too matching uh, in a way, like like ninety five percent of the wording is the same, right? So, for example, when you have a job posted by agency that uses the same job posting as an original page, that would usually not be counted in for uh, within the calculations. So it's sort of a uh, um, well, not not really the probability, but the match of 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 the adverts, right? And obviously, you still have to account for maybe one two percent that slip into that, uh, but but by all means, it's given. It's it's mostly uh, filtered around the skills. Um, it's uh, it's something that is relatively, I would say, stable metric or or, or the one that that is go to for for most of the statistical institutions as well as you mentioned. And I think you mentioned this throughout the presentation, but just to reconfirm, this includes temporary jobs as well, or just perm? Yeah, it, it can be both and you can also split it. Okay. Uh, and then we have a couple of more uh, kind of conceptual or, or strategic questions in terms of a, a, a talent intelligence function at organizations. Um, should HR organizations consider starting a function, uh, a talent intelligence function, if they don't have one yet? Yeah, I think I think um, uh, we see a kind of a maturity model within a, in a lot of companies when it comes around this data. First of all, I think if you want to, as an HR function, uh, you want to have that conversation with the other uh, parts of the business. Intelligence is a very useful tool uh, to have that conversation, to base your insights on that data and really make it understandable for the rest of the business on what is happening in the labor market. Now, building your own talent intelligence function can be challenging. It often starts, and we see a lot of companies doing that by acquiring a tool, but it doesn't end by only acquiring a tool. Right, you need the tool, uh, and but the tool is not going to fix everything. So you need to have proper resourcing around that, and you need to build the proper methodologies of uh, measuring and deciding what good looks like and how you 
communicate that into uh, into your into your business. Um, so what we do with, for example, our RPO programs is that we can include it in our RPO programs to really help organizations benefit from our um, vast amount of data and our knowledge on this topic. Uh, since we probably have uh, maybe even the largest talent intelligence team globally. Fabulous. And then I know you guys don't have a crystal ball, but you do have a lot of uh, insights and foresight maybe. Uh, there was a question, is it possible that the great resignation will happen again? <laughs> I think uh, it, it, the great resignation was kind of a, a, a a term coined at that time, uh, which I found interesting because it became a hype. But if you look at the numbers around like quits, for example, uh, you see that uh, it hasn't really gone away, first of all. And two, it was a trend that was long-term in the making. So it wasn't coming out of nothing, right? It was not a surprise. You saw that coming up and it was actually not just a post-pandemic trend. It was a multiple year trend and it relates to a very tight labor market. I think that what the pandemic did is highlight what is important to people in their job and how does that relate and how important is flexibility. Um, again, the media coined after the great resignation, the great regret of leaving and all that kind of things. But I think in reality, if you look at the long-term data, as long as the talent market remains scarce, which I believe it will be, if only for, demo, uh, for demographic reasons, there will be high numbers of quits and resignations. So I think it's a continued great resignation than just a one-term uh, term that, uh, that popped up. It's, it's something that people vote with their feet and uh, they continue to do so. And uh, talent is a unique differentiator for companies and the better they are to keep the best talent in-house, the better they will perform over time. So yes, I do believe that it will continue, it might not get the same media And then uh, just to add to that, right, that also accounts for the general shift in terms of the generations that are entering the workforce. Uh, essentially, besides the fact that it's still here, the attrition is higher than it was before the pandemic. The whole market is global. So whenever you have ability to work remotely and the skills to work remotely, you can do so. There's also the part where, well, the, the, the younger generations, so to put it, are more likely based on the studies uh, to, to change the job or stay for the shorter periods of time, right? And th this is also the factor that effectively keep increasing as, as there's more of them in the workforce, uh, especially considering the demographic trends of, of a lot of people quitting. So, so that's, a, I would say, good context for, for, for the future planning. Excellent. And you gave a, a, a great uh, outlook and preview there already on our in-demand skills report that's coming out soon, Matt and Joost. Thanks for that. Uh, we will also do a webinar uh, with these gentlemen uh, end of January on January 30th. Uh, we will uh, make sure that uh, those who are interested receive the invitation for that or drop us a note if you're interested. We'll get that uh, online soon uh, and uh, the report will be available later in December and January as well. So really looking forward to share that with everyone here and with the market. Um, so with that, I would love to uh, close this uh, uh, session of the uh, Talent Navigator series. Thank everyone for your live attendance and those uh, viewing it on demand later. Um, we hope you found it insightful and thank you again, Joost and uh, Matt, for your preparations and uh, great sharing of your insights here. 
And for those who had questions that we didn't have a chance to answer, we'll try to come back to you individually. Uh, we have still one further uh, addition to go in the five part series, which is about human potential and the relationship value proposition, um, uh, a kind of evolving from uh, the, the, end, the, the employee value proposition. So really be on the lookout for that. That's next week. And um, We'll put the link here in the chat as well. And if you haven't already, so please do register for the series coming up or uh, watch them on demand. And thank you all again for joining and have a good rest of your day, afternoon or evening. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Randstad SourceWrite's Talent Navigator podcast. Learn more about the trends you've heard about today at randstadsourcewrite.com. 